Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 59. Uh, Today I am going to read Jonah chapter 1. I was drawn to Jonah several days ago and I began to make some notes in it. I never reached the end, but I feel a kind of an urgency to go through Jonah. So uh, here we are. Uh, I want to thank you for following with this podcast. If maybe it's your first time, I welcome you. I pray that God speaks to you through this. Um, I pray that he gives me the words to say because I don't know what they will be. But I have been impacted by some of the verses here that I've come across. And then we'll just kind of unpack it as we go along as the Lord impresses upon certain things. And uh, I pray that that he does the speaking and it ministers to your heart in whatever way that needs. So we'll just jump right into it. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So as I, as I go through that, Something that's jumped out at me, we find the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. Essentially, that's saying God began to speak to Jonah and told him to go to this great city. And at the time, Nineveh was this thriving city. Um, We find out later um, a significant number of people, uh, perhaps it's 100,000 people, lived in this region And this city was full of wickedness. And Jonah has been told by the Lord to go speak, preach against its wickedness. Um, this This is something that we don't often hear preached. And oftentimes it finds us a bit uncomfortable, um, even if we value righteousness, even if it's something that our hearts long for, uh, living a life of righteousness. It, it, as believers and followers of Christ, it, it should be what we yearn for. And if it's not, you really need to take a look at the condition of your heart because anyone who is a child of God, a follower of Christ, needs to desire to live a life of righteousness. Now, does it mean we're perfect? No. Does it mean that we we struggle and stumble? Sure, perhaps. But 
there has to be inside the transformed heart of a believer. There should be, there better be a desire to live a life of righteousness. It's that the word effectively means to be full of rightness. And this is not right in the sense of I'm correct and you're wrong. This is a sense of uh, a life that is congruent with the will of God, with the with the requirement of acceptable acceptability before God. Now, before we go too deep down that rabbit trail, what I want to highlight is verse three. But Jonah ran away. So he knew exactly what he needed to do. He had the explicit direction from the Lord, but he didn't do it. He ran away. That's interesting. And Jonah is a man of God. Jonah is a, by, by all intents and purposes, we can see here a preacher of the word. He's no doubt someone who has a ear to the Lord because he hears this word. But nevertheless, Jonah runs away. How many of us run away from the word of the Lord, from his direction, from, from the thing that he asks of us? How many times do we run away from his request? You know, it's um, it, we're really quick to judge Jonah here. We find out later on why, uh, one reason at least why he runs away, because he knows God is tender and forgiving. And he no doubt has a chip on his shoulder regarding the people of Nineveh for their, their wickedness. And, and so he knows God to be a forgiving, loving, long-suffering God. So, but no doubt, we too, on a constant basis, I can speak for myself probably more, uh, on a a very consistent basis, how many times, at, at, at least on the surface or even deeper, do we run away from the thing that God is asking us to do, or maybe even explicitly telling us? So we find that he went down to Joppa and he found a ship and it was bound for the port that he was going to head to, Tarshish. And it says, after paying the fare, so the the price to board the ship to go to the place he wanted to go, the place he rather would go, he paid to do it. Now, I find that interesting because God will let you spend money frivolously. He let Jonah waste his money. Jonah didn't have to go there. Jonah was disobeying and chose to go there. And God let him spend his money in a way that was indeed wasteful. So that's, I think that's an important thing to realize. Um, there's 
There's good decisions that we can make in our lives and there's bad decisions. And here we see that, that Jonah made a bad decision and in that bad decision was attached a price and God let him pay that price. You know, we're not immune to that same reality. Our price may have it attached to it, a, a dollar amount. That price could be something more intangible, something that we may not can necessarily touch and feel, but there is a price associated with that bad decision. And God will let you spend that and use that um, so that I think that would uh, benefit us to keep that in mind. Now, God is merciful and God is, God is, the times that he spared me from collecting (laughs) on the, the, the thing in which I spent, um, I can't number them. I should be way worse I should be way worse off. I should the consequences of my actions throughout my life. I should I should be in a completely different place in a completely different position. But God is merciful, kind and loving. But there are times that he will let you spend and collect the fruit of your spending. So let's make it Let's make it wise. Um, so he, he boards this ship that heads to a place that he's running to instead of running with God. He's running from him to a place. You see the substitution that's happening there? He's running to a place from God rather than running to God or with God from whatever that he is frivolously doing. It's, it's important to see that. So he sails for this towards this place to flee from the Lord. Now verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So it's a significant uh, storm. All the sailors, verse 5, were afraid and each cried out to his own God. So all these sailors here are, are interceding to their God. And each cries out. And it says, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. You know, I've kind of seen this many times and it seems somewhat wasteful i mean i i don't really know the mechanics of uh, sea travel and you know the dynamics of being um being a uh, sea a seaman however um when you when you begin to think about like if they have all this cargo that that has all this weight that's going to kind of push the boat down into the water deeper and imagine the waves are crashing in so by pushing the cargo off the ship it it gives the boat 
a opportunity to not be pulled down so deep. So it sits up higher, I guess in theory, it sits up higher and up from the water. And so perhaps the waves, um, it, they, they sit up higher. And so, you know, I just think about that visually and what that looks like rather than seeing it before kind of as this, you know, why would they just throw this cargo, um, out into the sea? They are trying to lighten the ship, but what's that really going to do? Um, but it does tell us that this is no doubt a very dangerous situation in their eyes. I mean, they're not going to waste resources like that for nothing. They are in a perilous situation that they are fearful that they will lose their lives. And it says, but, this is, this is fascinating, and I want, I want to see if you catch this as well. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So, when I read that for the first time, it actually reminds me very much of Matthew 8, verses 24 through 25. So, I'm going to turn there just real quickly. Matthew 8, 24 through 25. And we find ourselves, this is where Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. It says, Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. So this story here in Jonah, very reminiscent to me of that encounter the disciples had with Jesus on their boat as Jesus himself was asleep. So, not that Jonah is necessarily a picture of Jesus, because Jesus didn't run away from his mission. But there is some, there is some definite parallels between Jonah and Jesus that, that we will come to see as we make our way through the book of Jonah. Um, but here we find him asleep and in a, in a very dangerous uh, sea situation. Now the captain went to Jonah, verse 6, and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. You see the parallel a, a little there? Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Now, if you're not familiar with that, casting lots was in the Old Testament a way that uh, people, instead of being able to hear God, hearing and experiencing the Holy Spirit leading and guiding, they would cast, they would throw these somewhat like dice in a way to to let to let them fall in a certain manner so that they could determine what to do and so they just kind of let things let them fall to reveal reality um now 
You even actually see that with the disciples in the upper room. They casted lots to find out who should replace Judas. So you see that a little even in the New Testament, but, but no doubt that phases out because as, as intimacy comes and oneness with God through the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to hear what he says and we don't have to resort to casting lots. So they cast lots to see who is responsible for this tragedy and they determine that the lot fell on Jonah. Well, no doubt. We know that Jonah is disobeying God and he is running. In verse 8 it says, So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Now, I don't have answers for you, but this is something that you should consider, ponder on. Tell us who who is responsible. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country, and from what people are you? I think there's something inside of those questions that uh, carry some significance. Um, who is responsible? What is your work? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? So I think there's something special there in that. Verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. Pay no notice here what he says, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, picture yourself as these men who are finding themselves in a very dangerous situation on the sea. Now, verse 10 reveals this a little to us. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Now, we don't see this. We don't capture that in this in the scripture. But he had told them that he was running away from the Lord. I find it very intriguing that... Out of all the things that Jonah could have said about God, he says, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That's, that's worth considering. I, I would encourage you to think on, why is it that Jonah said that? Out of all the things he could have said, he attributed those things to God who made the sea and the dry land. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So that's pretty, that's pretty bold. Uh, 
I'm impressed because not many of us, myself included, would say, you know, I know what will make this better. Toss me overboard into the water and it will be calm. I'll tell you this, I don't trust my hearing well enough to let that be the first thing that I suggest um, in this situation. But I'm, I'm also... I'm also interested because in verse 13, it says, instead, so rather than taking Jonah at his suggestion, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. I see these men as very honorable. They did not want to take his life. How many people in society today would find the guilty person and offer them as a sacrifice in one second? I... I am pleased with the condition of the heart of these men because they did not want to sentence Jonah essentially to death. They did their best to prevent it. And then not only did they try and put forth effort, row back to land, but then they actually prayed to very likely a God they did not serve. Because remember, back in the previous verse, it said that um, each man, each of the sailors, cried out to his own God. And then the captain even said, call on your God. So this, these are men that are, um, are, are very likely not followers of the one true God. They are very likely pagan, uh, pagan men. But I'm impressed with their hearts. And, and so they pray to God, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing a innocent man. Now, that's actually interesting as well because... They call Jonah innocent. Now, is he innocent, though? He, he's running from God. God has given him a direction, and he's running. Is Jonah innocent? Isn't he actually the cause of what's happening to these men? He's effectively putting their lives in danger. Jonah's far from innocent, and we... We go on. We will go on to see a little more of his heart. But it is again, I think, um, a beautiful thing to see their care for his livelihood. So it's fascinating. Verse fifteen says, "Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard." Now. Picture this, just pause, close your eyes if you're in a safe place to do so. Close your eyes, picture the boat 
moving all across the water, waves splashing overboard, the wind tearing through, and the men have finally determined, these sailors, they've determined that we are going to do this thing that we don't want to do, and that is to pick Jonah up and toss him overboard. So picture them taking him, lifting him up, carrying him to the edge, and then throwing him overboard. It's quite an, an intense, an intense moment. Imagine what a, what's all going through the mind of Jonah. You know, you, he remember, he suggested that they do this. You find out real quick in a moment like that, to whom do you trust? Who, who has your faith? So they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Hmm. Now, it doesn't say this. We don't really know it. But the sea became calm. Was that instantly? Did it just, was it like a squall monsoon and then throw him over and he hits the water? And did everything go instantly still like glass water? You know, the rain stopped, the waves stopped. Did it, did it kind of fade down to, you know, ease and interesting to think on. Um, We don't know, but we do know it grew calm. At this, verse 16, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. That is so important. It could arguably be the most important part of this chapter. The men did something that they were hesitant to do, but it was at the word of a, we'll call him man of God, who could see rightly in the situation. And so as they responded to the word given to them, from Jonah, throw me overboard. I'm responsible. They do it, and instantly the response of nature testifies to the significance of God. And what do these men do? They behold with their eyes the power, the reality, the the true encounter that they have of the one true God, suddenly their paradigm completely changes. You know, just moments ago when their gods were not responding to their request, to their need of save us from this situation, they see that they have been holding, clinging to the wrong God. These men feared the Lord. And this is something that we need more than ever in our day is a fear of the Lord. 
Now, he is a kind and good and gracious and loving and um, patient father. But he is creator, God, most high, king enthroned, creator of all heaven and earth and everything in between. He is Papa and he is creator. He was at the beginning, before the beginning, and he will be beyond the end. We need to have a fresh reality, a fresh encounter of the fear of the Lord. This is this is a, a weight that we feel when he walks into the room and his presence is is so strong that we dare not utter a word because we break the 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 pin silent it's we dare not disturb the moment and so this the fear of the lord becomes a an awareness of of his of his glory of his weightiness and and simultaneously though in the moments that we can sense his presence the fear of the lord will also drive us to respond to him appropriately because if jonah had a proper realization of the fear of the Lord, he would have never ran from him. So this is something that we need to recapture in our day is a correct fear of the Lord. And these men offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. They pledged themselves to him. Verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. A huge fish. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, remember, we talked about some parallels with Christ. He was in the belly of the earth three nights, three days. Now, this is where we will end it. We'll pick back up in Jonah chapter 2 on the next episode. Um... I pray that it uh, speaks to you, that God uses it, that he's glorified through it. I pray that as you explore his word on your own individually, in your in your own quiet time, um, the Holy Spirit will speak to you, will show you things. Um, I pray that he makes it real to you, that it becomes more than words on a page, but actually an encounter to experience the living God in that word. So I thank you and I bless you and we'll see you next time. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you. And in your house I hold